Ah, good morning. It's a great joy to be with you all and to study the Word of God with you. Please open your Bibles to the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew and Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 and I'll read from verse 5 through 15. And it reads, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be hate for their many ways. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespass, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. In this world, People have different desires, different dreams, and different goals. They measure the goodness of their lives based on the fulfillment of those desires. However, when one desire has been fulfilled, another one comes up. No one in this world is fully satisfied with everything in his or her life. People do not just have room for more, but they have a desire for more. Things that were a dream when they were young are never enough when they are old. Things that were gold when they did not have them feel like dust when they have them. People just want more. If man was given the whole world, he will not be satisfied. He would wish there was another world. In his confession, St. Augustine said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. This is a reason nothing in this world can really satisfy us. God made us for himself. Last time we looked at Matthew 6, verse 9b, we saw that, or we saw what it means to hallow God's name. We said when we hallow God's name, our actions reveal the nature of God. We follow a holy God, and therefore our action should re reflect our confession. We saw that for us Christians, to hallow God's name is our duty and our commitment. Therefore, we ought to hallow God in the way we think. We ought to hallow God in the way we speak. And we ought to hallow God in the way we conduct ourselves. This morning, we are looking at Matthew 6, verse 10a. In this portion, Jesus shows us that in prayer, the saints' focus should be on the kingdom of God rather than the kingdoms of this world. In this verse, I want us to consider five important elements regarding the kingdom of God. One, the kingdom of God is the believer's desire. 
Two, the kingdom of God is the believer's preference. Three, the kingdom of God is the believer's prayer. Four, the kingdom of God is the believer's gathering. And five, the kingdom of God is the believer's hope. Let us look at our first point. The kingdom of God is the believer's longing. Matthew 6, verse 10a, your kingdom come. Maybe the first question we should answer is, what is the kingdom of God, especially in this context? The kingdom of God is a rule of God over the regenerated and submissive hearts that sit and rejoice under his authority. The kingdom of God is a rule of God over regenerated and submissive hearts that sit and rejoice under his authority. God is sovereign. He is fully in control. And not even a sparrow can fall without his knowledge and consent. However, this world at this moment is under the power of the evil one. That's what 1 John 5, 19 tells us. On the sixth day, when God finished his work of creation, he looked at everything that he had made and he said it was very good. Everything was perfect in the eyes of the all-knowing God. He then called man whom he created in his own image to submit to his authority. He called man to trust his wisdom. He called man to rely on his counsel. He called man to obey his commandments. However, deception came and man chose to follow his own judgment. As a result, man's relationship with God was broken. Man's relationship with fellow human beings was affected and the creation itself was corrupted. When man rejected the wisdom of God, evil took over. In his own mind, man became the center of the universe. He wanted to rule. His desires became a priority. From the day of the fall, man has been shouting, My kingdom come. Kind, the first person to be born, was a jealous man, a deceiver, and a murderer. This is because the focus was on him. When man is at the center, the world crumbles. In Romans 1, Paul tells us that when man suppressed the knowledge of God, even though he thought he was wise, he actually became a fool. Sin blinds us and makes us love things that are dishonorable to God. It is sin that gave birth to the kingdoms of man. The kingdom of man puts sin in perfect display. The kingdom of man causes people to walk with rainbow flags, calling it a pride walk when God calls homosexuality sin and natural. The kingdom of man makes you think you are wiser than your parents, you have earned the right to disrespect and disobey them. You wish they can just, just stop giving you instruction and start listening to you. The kingdom of man makes you think you carrying your Bible and going to church is a shameful thing. That how the kingdoms of men operate. If a group of people were to meet two young men on the street, one carrying a Bible and another carrying a cigarette and a beer, the one carrying the Bible is most likely to be uncomfortable and even hide his Bible these days. These days, you look like a fool when you get married because the world believes in changing your partner as soon as inconvenience kicks in. As a young lady, you are more likely to be mocked by your peers for abstaining from sexual sin instead of being a wayward person. Dishonoring your body is now called my body, my rule. Even good deeds in the kingdom of men are done with bad motives. 
You help someone only because you want them to help you when you also face difficulties. You show kindness because you want them to see you as a good person, while in your heart you don't really care. Brothers and sisters, this is the kingdom of men on display. As Jesus is teaching his disciples here, there is no hint of the kingdom of men. Jesus shows them that they should prioritize the kingdom of God. They should long for God's reign both in their hearts and in the world. Prayer is not an opportunity for us to seek our own kingdom. Prayer is not an opportunity for us to bring a wish list that is filled with the kingdom of men. Everything wrong in this world is ultimately due to the rejection of God as a king. Therefore, in prayer, we acknowledge that God is the only king and we need him alone in our lives. What are we saying? We are saying we've seen enough. Now we are longing for the kingdom of God. We've seen how messed up the kingdoms of this world are. Therefore, we call for the, for the kingdom of God. We've experienced the wicked kingdoms of this world. Now we cry for the kingdom of God. Beloved, you have acted as a king over your life. How many regrets do you have? How many disappointments came because you chose to follow the desires of your own body? Take heed. Nothing delights a body as when you are its slave. Yet again, nothing destroys your body as when you are its slave. Since the day you started following your own heart, are you satisfied with your decisions? If not, join the chorus of the saints as they shout, Your kingdom come. This is what we desire. We desire the kingdom of God because we have seen that there is nothing honestly in the kingdoms of this world. That leads us to our second point. The kingdom of God is believer's preference. Let us look at our text. Matthew 6, verse 10a. Your kingdom come. As a reminder, Jesus is teaching his disciples who were Jews how to pray in this text. The first time the Bible focuses on the people of Israel as a nation is in the book of Exodus. In Exodus, we see Israel as a nation. Israel itself as slaves under the Egyptians. The book of Exodus tells us the reason behind that. Exodus 1, verse 6 to 10 says, Then Joseph died, and all his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them. Let them multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Python and Ramses. Now, Egyptians didn't want Israelites to be stronger than them. And to prevent that, they made them slaves. In a period of 400 years, a lot of Israelites were born as slaves and they even died as slaves. The Bible t- tells us that the people of Israel groaned and, remember, and when they groaned, they cried as well, looking for help. And the scripture tells us, tells us that God heard their groaning and remembered the promise that he made with their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
he sent to Moses to deliver them. God chose the nation of Israel and had a plan. His plan was to make them the instruments of his glory. He promised to take them to a good land. A land flowing with milk and honey. A land of their own where they would not be subject to other nations. A land where they would have their own ruler, their own king. As God was taking them there, they were stiff-necked. They were disobedient. They were rebellious. And sometimes they even wanted to go back to Egypt. However, they wanted a better place in their hearts. In their minds, being rulers in their own place where there would be no slave was the best thing. In different periods, Israel suffered under Egyptians and Babylon. That is when they were not in Jerusalem. But they also suffered under Philistines, Midianites and other nations when they were in Jerusalem, but they were not ruling. In all these times, they wanted one solution, to be in their land and to have their own kingdom. That is what the Israelites wanted. In 1 Samuel 8, when Samuel the prophet was old and his sons were judges over Israel and his sons were perverting justice and taking bribes, the people of Israel saw that as an opportunity to demand a king, something they had been longing for. 1 Samuel 8, 4 says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. Samuel warned them against having a king. In theocracy, God was their king, and there were judges who were ruling under the authority of God. Therefore, appointing another king was similar to replacing God. Appointing another king meant they were going to remove God as their king. So Samuel here is warning them against that. But verse 19 says, But the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, No, but there shall be a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. Now, the people of Israel insisted. They wanted to be like other nations. They wanted a king who will lead them or who would lead them in battles. They wanted a monarchy and God gave it to them. From that time, Israelites had a kingdom and its ruler was not God, the Almighty. However, they only had three kings and after that, the kingdom was divided. The kingdom was divided into two. There was northern kingdom, which was known as Israel, and then there was southern kingdom, which was known as Judah. And because of that, they continually sinned against God, and God ended up punishing them by taking them out of the land that he had promised to give them. So, in that case, the northern kingdom was led to exile, and they went to Assyria. And then the, the southern kingdom, which is Judah, they went to Babylon. Now, Judah, the southern kingdom, would later return to Jerusalem under Zerubbabel, who was the governor. But even when they came back, they were subject to different kingdoms, from Medo-Persia to Greece, and from Greece to Rome. Now, as Jesus is talking to his disciples, they were under the kingdom of Rome, which was known as the Roman Empire. They knew their history. They knew how their predecessors had suffered from different kingdoms. 
They themselves had experienced difficulties under the Roman Empire. However, like other Jews, they had hope. Jews had been waiting for a Messiah. Jews wanted their own king. This is the problem. The king that Jews were looking for. It was a king that would turn the world upside down, conquer the Roman Empire, and restore the kingdom of Israel. That is the king that they were looking for. In this text, the king they've been waiting for is in front of them. He's the one who's teaching them how to pray. However, he's not talking about destroying the Roman Empire. Like their forefathers, Jews wanted a king that would lead them to battle. But this king was talking about peace. In Matthew 5, 9, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. From verse 38, he taught them not to retaliate. And in chapter 6, as he's teaching them how to pray, he shows them that the kingdom they should desire, the kingdom they should prefer, and the kingdom they should set their heart on is the kingdom of God, not of Israel. The two kingdoms of Israel had already had to- total 42 kings in total, rather. They already had 42 kings in total and even one queen, and none of them were a solution. In fact, most of these kings were evil. Now, it was delusional for the Jews to think having another mere human king would change anything. What Jews needed was the kingdom of God. And like them, what we need is the kingdom of God. Why? Because the kingdoms of this world teach people to be obsessed with ruling. But the kingdom of God it teaches people about serving. The kingdoms of this world divide nations. Hence, there are a lot of wars. But the kingdom of God unites nations under the headship of Jesus Christ. The kingdoms of this world create competitions and envy. But the kingdom of God leads to complementarity. The kingdoms of this world teach people to destroy others in order to elevate themselves. But the kingdom of God is about building one another and exalting Christ together. The kingdom of this world produces selfishness. But in the kingdom of God, there is selflessness. The kingdoms of this world causes us to view one another through racial and tribal lenses. But in the kingdom of God, we see one another as brothers and sisters. Therefore, beloved, this should be our petition. This should be my petition. This should be your petition. Together, we should say, your kingdom come. The kingdom of God is what we should be looking for. The kingdom of God is what we should prefer. Which leads us to the third point. The kingdom of God is the believer's prayer. As believers, we look to our sovereign God. He alone is in full control. We trust him and we bring our supplications to him. As we see life in this country becoming difficult with all the corruption, with all the injustice, with crime rates probably at its highest, and with all the unbiblical laws that governs our country, men, or rather many people, still believe that this is just a political issue. Almost everyone agrees that changes should be made. However, for most people, those changes are just limited to switching political parties. For them, we just need that simple change, then magic will happen. 
Isn't that the same thing that the Jews were looking for? Isn't that how people, rather people of every nation think is a solution? They believe if they change one or two things, then things will fall into place. The problem is that people trust anything and everything but God. One man complained, saying, the first thing the ancient church did in every situation was to pray. But that is the last thing the modern church does. Even if they pray, mostly it has nothing to do with God and His kingdom. Friends, this should not be our story. Prayer is the means of grace. Prayerlessness is pride. Prayerlessness is telling God that I can cope without you. Prayerlessness is telling God that I'm satisfied with this world and have no desire for your kingdom. Prayerlessness is against our profession. Prayerlessness is a disease that no Christian should have. We have been commanded to pray without ceasing. We have been commanded to pray all kinds of prayers. We have been commanded to desire the kingdom of God as we pray. In the 16th century, there was a Scottish man called John Knox. When he was born, Roman Catholic Church oversaw both the church and the state. When he was about four years old, the Protestant Reformation started in Germany. Protestant Reformation was about returning to the biblical truth since Catholicism had deformed and corrupted the church by its unbiblical teaching and conduct. John Knox at first acted as a bodyguard of George Wishart. George Wishart was a Protestant preacher whom the Catholic Cardinal killed because of preaching the truth. Afterwards, John Knox became a part of Protestants who were living in the castle. He became their preacher even though that was not his plan. So basically they forced him to be their preacher. However, the castle was attacked and they were captured by the French. When that happened, John Knox became a galley slave. Life was difficult for galley slaves. Although they were reformers and not Catholics, they were forced to participate in the mass. They were forced to bow down on the statue of Mary. One day, they came to Knox and persuaded him to bow down. But Knox took that statue and threw it into the water. He was not willing to compromise his faith. And from that day, they never asked him to, to participate in the Mass. And because of the condition he was living in as a galley slave, Knox became very sick. However, that did not diminish his love for God and the truth. Instead, he became a man of prayer, and he started preaching the truth to other slaves who were around him. Later on, he was released, and after his release, he spent some time in England and also went to Geneva before going back to Scotland, where he came from. There was a country also where his heart was. In Scotland, Mary, the Queen of Scots, was a Catholic ruler and was loved by many. But Knox did not shy away from confronting Mary. He did not shy away from preaching the truth. He preached against Mary's parties, dancing, and all evil. Mary thought the best thing would be for Knox to die. So what did she do? She had a trial for him. On a trial, Knox asked for an opportunity to speak, and he was given that opportunity. When he was given that opportunity, he preached the gospel. 
To Mary's surprise, the council voted and Knox was found not guilty. Therefore, he was not killed. That was not a coincidence. John Knox was known for his prayers more than anything else. And his, his most famous prayer was, Give me Scotland or I die. That is how he prayed to God. He said, Give me Scotland or I die. His desire was to reach the people of Scotland with the gospel. So when he prayed, give me, the, give me Scotland or I die, he was saying, let your kingdom come in Scotland. God gave him a lot of opportunities to preach in Scotland, and he ended up preaching on his own trial, as we saw. Now, I want you to listen to this. Mary would later make a statement which became her famous statement concerning John Knox. She said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of Europe. For rulers, a big army was everything. Yet Mary realized that that praying man had God on his side and the army was nothing compared to him. Brothers and sisters, this is an indictment to us if we think making a cross in a ballot paper is what will bring change to the nation. This is an indictment to us if we think our solution comes from organizing more strikes and more protest marches. This is not to say you must, not, you must, ne not, you must neglect rather, your constitu constitutional rights, but this is a reminder that God alone is in control. God alone is in control. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. Many are the plans in the mind of men, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. The Lord has bestowed a privilege upon us, allowing us to communicate with him, and through this privilege of prayer, God accomplishes his purposes whenever he answers our prayer. For that reason, men ought always to pray and not lose heart. God could have done everything without us. God is able to accomplish his purpose without us. But God chose to accomplish his purpose through prayer. It is not enough to wish. It is not enough even to plan. We ought to cry to God in prayer always. Our shouts to God, or our cry to God should be, Your kingdom come. And as we cry out to Him, we must also understand that the kingdom of God is the believer's gathering, which is our fourth point. Earlier on, we said the kingdom of God is the rule of God over the generated heart that sits and rejoices under His authority. When we say, Your kingdom come, it seems like we are looking to the future. It seems like, yes, we are looking at the future as we await the rule of God. Rightly so. The full, of, the full expression of the kingdom of God will be reached in the future. However, the New Testament shows us that we are already in the kingdom of God. Though we are not in its full expression, but we are already in the kingdom of God. That is a theological concept that is called already, but not yet. Paul in Colossians 1 verse 12, he said, Giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. First, I want us to notice that Paul says the kingdom of his beloved Son. Now, this is not a different kingdom. 
But what Paul is doing here, Paul is showing us that we enter the kingdom of God because of the redemption that is found in his son, Jesus Christ. We were not born into this kingdom. And we are not in this kingdom because of our heritage. There is nothing called Christian by birth. You can be or you can be born in a Christian home and attend church all your life. But you are not a Christian until you repent from sin and turn to Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. Moreover, you cannot work your way to this kingdom. You do not need actually hard work to be accepted into the kingdom. One thing you need is forgiveness. You cannot come to this kingdom until you come empty-handed. The kingdom of God is the only place where your track record doesn't matter, but your faith in Christ. You don't bring your own righteousness because Christ himself provides righteousness that we need. If you look to Christ, you have access to the kingdom of God. We don't need to buy our way to this kingdom. In fact, you don't even have to buy our way to this kingdom because it is free. It is through Christ. It is through our faith in Jesus Christ. But this is not just anything. This is the kingdom of God. What a joy it is to know that it is free. Now, after that, Paul's, Paul shows us that believers no longer belong to the kingdom of darkness. The Father had, has delivered them from the kingdom of darkness. In doing that, he transferred them to his own kingdom in which his son is the ruler. In the present age, Christ rules his body, the church. Those who are part of the church are participants of the kingdom. It is significant to note that Paul explicitly states that the Father moved us or delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his son. This is the same picture we see repeatedly in the book of Acts. Whenever people believed the gospel and were saved, God added them to the church. Those spiritually, they became part of God's kingdom when they believed. In adding them to the church, God was physically transferring them to the kingdom of light so that together with other saints, they would become a lighthouse. If church, therefore, is the kingdom of God in the present age, it is dangerous for anyone who profess to be a Christian not to be a participating member of a biblical local church. As you serve faithfully in the ministry of the local church, you are participating in the kingdom of God. It wouldn't make sense for you or for us to say, your kingdom come if we are not faithfully participating in the kingdom of God in the world, which is the church. We can call for the full manifestation of the kingdom while neglecting its present expression, the church. In Matthew 5, Jesus started by teaching his disciples how the citizens of the kingdom are supposed to conduct themselves. Matthew 5, verse 14 to 16 says, You are the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but understand and give light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Our goal as individuals and part of the church should be glorify God. It should be to glorify God and to be the light to others. However, we all know that sometimes that is impossible because of the presence of sin. 
We can only do that in part and sometimes we fail. Therefore, while doing that, we desire the full expression of God's glory. And it is for that reason that we call for it in prayer. Your kingdom come is a cry for full expression of the kingdom from those who already have the foretaste. Which leads us to our last point. The kingdom of God is believers' hope. Let us look at our text again. Your kingdom come. Our cry for the kingdom of God is not only because we prefer, we prefer the kingdom of God to the evil kingdoms of, the, of this world, but because it is our only hope. The kingdom of God is the kingdom of grace. Every man-made kingdom looks for those who are strong, those who are rich, those who have something to give. But as we saw earlier, this kingdom is for those who have nothing. If your own strength, your own wisdom, or your own works were your access to the kingdom, you would always be worried because the day you run out of those, you'd be kicked out of the kingdom. However, our joy is in Christ. For we know that when we were weak, when we were unlovable, when we were unworthy, when we had no hope, when we hated ourselves, when we were an embarrassment to our families and friends, when our sins were innumerable, when we were outcast deserving the full wrath of God, when we had nothing to bring to the table, when no one would have accepted to his kingdom, Christ died for our sins and he accepted us to his kingdom. And we have assurance that he who began the good work in us will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is believers' hope. The world has had different kingdoms, but all those kingdoms were full of injustice. They were preying on people. The kingdoms of this world have always been about elevating the light, the elite, while suppressing the rest. The kingdoms of this world can be great and powerful, but there is one thing they will never let, that is sin. The kingdoms of this world will always be full of sin. And for that reason, there will always be corruption. There will always be prejudice. There will always be conflict. There will always be betrayal. If your hope, therefore, is in any kingdom of this world, then you are as good as someone who is homeless. In the kingdom of God, sin has been dealt with. Jesus paid the penalty of sin. God gave us the Holy Spirit to conquer the power of sin. And we are calling for the kingdom of God to come because of our sure hope that we will be freed from the presence of sin. In the kingdom of God, there will be no jealousy or conflict. There will be no corruption or prejudice. And there will be no masters and slaves. Saints will be rejoicing together forever as brothers and sisters as they worship God. Beloved, are you not looking forward to that kingdom? Are you not looking forward to the day when you will love and worship God perfectly without any sin hindering you or your service to Him? Are you not looking forward to the day when you will perfectly love your friend and your neighbor as yourself instead of being jealous because their achievements are greater than yours? Can you imagine a life when you are truly happy for someone else without selfishly considering yourself until you covet what they have? Have you ever thought about a life where there are no enemies, where no one gossips, and about a life where everyone is happy about another? 
where we are rejoicing as one big family as we serve Lord Jesus Christ and God our Father. Have you ever imagined a life like that? Have you ever imagined a life where there is no sin? Have you ever imagined a life where there are no conflicts? And where we rejoice together. Brothers and sisters, this is not a fairy tale. That life exists. That life is the picture of the kingdom of God, where our home is. Nothing in this world can be compared to the full expression of the kingdom of God. That little peace that you've had in this world is not even a tip of the peace that God will give to those in Christ. That little joy you've had in this world is nothing compared to the joy that the Father will give to His own. Revelation 2, or rather 21 verse 3, it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, no crying, no pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is the hope that we have. This is the hope of the kingdom. And this is the promise of the kingdom. Therefore, do not live as if this world is all there is. Do not live like a permanent resident in a temporal world. Believers' hope is never found in any passing kingdom, but in the eternal kingdom. Every kingdom of this world is temporal, but that of God is eternal. Of every ruler, it will be said, he was born, he lived, and he ruled until his death. But of Christ, it is said, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The center of uprightness is the center of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. Do you know why we say, your kingdom come? Because he's our only home in life and death. Do you know why we say, your kingdom come? Because he's the only one who will never forsake us. Do you know why we say, your kingdom come? Because he justified us, he sanctifies us, and he will glorify us. Do you know why we say your kingdom come? Because he will keep all his promises and give us eternal rest. Do you know why we say your kingdom come? Because he is the king of kings and lord of lords, the all-wise and all-knowing father who will receive us in glory. Pray then like this, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name and your kingdom come. Great father. You alone are the wise God. Lord, help us that we may not be satisfied with our own desires, that we may not be satisfied with the kingdoms of this world, but that, Lord, we may be Christians who are longing for your kingdom. But help us that even as we are longing for your kingdom, Lord, 
We may participate, O oh Lord, in the kingdom, Lord, of the world, or rather of, of in your kingdom, O oh Lord, even as it is in the world, the church. Help us, O oh God, to be faithful members of the church. Help us, O oh God, that we may live for your glory, even, Lord, in the church. And help us, O oh God, that we trust nothing but you, that our desires, O oh Lord, we may understand, O oh God, that if they do not come from you, then they are evil. Lord, be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.